Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Harrison Van Riper, and welcome to another edition of Shadow Talk, your weekly threat intelligence podcast. Joining me this week is none other than Alex G. here in Dallas. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's good to be back again. And joining us for the first time, we have Travis Randall. Travis, who are you? And give me an interesting fact about you because you're a very interesting person. Hey, guys. Super glad to be here. Um, I am a cyber intelligence analyst here at Digital Shadows. And my fun fact is that I like to uh, run marathons in my underwear for charity. That's true. You did that. That's how you got this job. Yeah. So I met somebody who worked here who's uh, no longer with us, but he's, he's still alive, but um, <laughs> you know, not with the company. So yeah. And anyway, he, uh, I was, he was doing that and I was doing that and I was like, man, he seems cool. And long story short, I am now a cyber intelligence analyst. Okay, great. Thanks, Travis. Uh, it's good to have you here, and hopefully, you know, you'll be a regular voice here pretty soon. Uh, so, one thing for me this week: Photon Research released a new paper, which is super exciting. Uh, it's called "Too Much Information: The Sequel," and it's a follow-up to the report that we did last year. Uh, so, overall, basically, the main findings of the paper is that Photon found there were over 2.3 billion files currently being exposed uh, via online. Uh, file shares like SMB file shares and Amazon S3 buckets. Uh, we're going to do a big deep dive of that in uh, next week's episode. But this week we have Richard Gold and Simon Hall from our security engineering team to discuss the remote desktop protocol bug that has been all the hype the last couple of weeks. It's a really great technical dissection of the bug, so be sure to stay tuned for that. All right, so first up, Alex. Uh, I've been pretty busy this week with the launch of the report. So what is the main article that you wrote in the Insun this week? So this week, security researchers identified a new version of the malware loader called Jasper Loader. So this was first identified back in April of this year, so just about a month ago. And we've already seen the second version of it uh, just recently. So it's been used to target countries in Europe like Italy and Germany. And it's been seen distributing banking trojans such as GootKits. So this new version includes a bunch of new features. Uh, it's pretty significant, actually. There's at least seven or eight distinct features. Um, for example, they primarily focus on persistence and obfuscation. And the loader is also using a newer distribution methods. So previously, it was distributed via malicious attachments sent uh, in phishing emails. But recently now, it's been starting to use malicious URLs instead. Still in phishing emails, but no longer relying on attachments as it used to. Jasper Loader as well, it can check uh, the model of the system being infected. It has additional checks to help identify uh, virtual machines to protect, to, to protect against analysis. And it also has protection of communication with its C2 servers. So Interestingly enough, it introduces a secondary C2 server to ensure successful updates and communications with the loader. So it's not really known who exactly is behind the creation, the development, and even the use of Jasper Loader right now. But considering that it was updated with that many significant new features in that short of a time period suggests that it's being actively developed by someone who's showing uh, at least some pretty sophisticated uh, intent and capability. 
So an interesting thing about these kinds of malware loaders is that they're frequently uh, offered as a service. So threat actors of varying levels of sophistication can go online and they can purchase these loaders, which they can then use their own different types of malware. So they're super adaptable, they're customizable, and they can be used across a variety of different types of campaigns. There's no real indication yet that Jasper Loader is being offered as a service, but considering that we've seen other loaders like Black Rose Lucy, for example, being offered as services in the past, uh, it should be considered a realistic possibility. And I'm sure that there's going to be more information coming out fairly soon as as more research is done into the specific loader and it, it gets used across more campaigns over the next couple of months. So loaders and other malware that's offered as a service is typically typically caters to a broad spectrum of users. So a lot of times they even offer features that you see in legitimate software. So things like beta cycles, um, different testing phases, and even easy to use UIs and such. And we've even seen things like live technical support and chat support. And there's also this kind of juxtaposition between uh, loaders that are specifically developed to act as loaders, as well as a trend of more traditional malware being adapted for use as a loader. So I think the the obvious example here is Emotet. So it's probably best known for use as a banking trojan, but because of its modular capabilities. So we've seen examples of it being used as a loader itself to distribute different types of malware as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things develop in the future. So whether threat actors will continue to develop individual loaders or if they'll begin to move more towards malware that's been made publicly available and then kind of leverage the capabilities of those to have them act as loaders. Cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think the um, the kind of parallel to Emotet is definitely what jumped out at me specifically because obviously we've seen Emotet around for quite a few years now and it started out as a banking trojan and then kind of pivoted into this loader capability that that's really the main use for it now i mean people obviously criminals are still using it for banking trojan uses but um that's kind of the main thing that we see nowadays cool yeah super interesting um all right alex back over to you for the first highlight of the week apt 28 campaign uh from august 2018 was seen delivering malware via shortened urls give me the details everyone loves some apt 28 activity so this time a cyber espionage campaign was attributed to apt 28 and so this attack actually occurred in august of 2018 but what was interesting about this one is that the group was seen using phishing emails with shortened URLs to deliver malware, which is a less common tactic that we've seen this group uh, leveraging. And so the group has previously used shortened URLs uh, for things such as credential phishing, but it's less common that they've used it for malware delivery. So that's why this specific incident stood out, and it's possible that we'll see similar activity in the future. All right, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on for those shortened URLs. Uh, all right, so now over to Travis. Uh, tell me about Gnostic Players this week. So on 17th of May, it uh, looks like uh, Gnostic Players announced they breached the uh, Australian graphic design company Canva. Uh, it appears that they stole about 139 million users' account information, uh, and that also looks like it includes about 61 million passwords, and some portion of that is also going to be some Google tokens. We've, they've been pretty active the last few months, so we're probably going to see some more breaches in the next few months from them. Uh, it doesn't look like they are uh, showing any signs of slowing down. Good job, Travis. You crushed that one. Good Thanks. job. Yeah, Gnostic Players, Gnostic Players has been sticking around for a while now, so... Uh... 
you know, definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'm, I'm surprised that they're actually still going. It seems like they've, they've been pretty active and pretty high profile. So it's going to be uh, interesting to keep an eye on them. Yeah, I mean, with this specific breach added on top of all of their other activity, I think so far it's about 1.07 billion credentials from at least 45 different companies. So yeah, pretty high profile. It's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. Next up, we have two new malware loaders that were identified attributed to APT10. More malware loaders. Tell me more about these malware loaders, Alex. Yeah, so more malware loaders, more APT groups. What more could you possibly want? Uh, So this time we have two new malware loaders, and they were attributed to APT10, which is a China-based threat group. So we have the PlugX information stealer and the Quasar remote access trojan. So both of these were observed communicating with typosquatted domains, which were located in South Korea. And although the specific targets of these campaigns weren't identified, the samples were detected in the Philippines, which is a target geography consistent with previous APT10 activity. Remember to go and download the full intelligence summary at resources.digitalshadows.com. And also be sure to go and download the Too Much Information, the sequel paper, uh, which is also available in the Resources Center. And we'll include a link uh, in the show notes for this week's episode. All right, next up we have Rich and Simon to talk about the RDP bug vulnerability from last week. And uh, yeah, we'll kick it off right now. So I think we're going to kick off today with the RDP bug, which I think both of us felt was certainly the most consequential of the recent crop of bugs that came through. So, Sai, do you want to give us a quick overview of what actually is going on with this? Yeah, sure. Um, so just to kind of cap that a little bit. Um, so so the Microsoft's May Patch Tuesday uh, came out, and with it came a lot of uh, patches for vulnerabilities. I think the, the Qualys report said, uh, said there was around 77 or 79 uh, vulnerabilities that were patched out of those 22 were critical, um, which is which is quite interesting. So I spent some time going through through those, um, and there's just so much in there to to ingest. Um, it was quite interesting though, because kind of looking at this uh, this list of things, you know, they've come from reports in various places, but and there are so many criticals in there. But there's just a lack of technical information as well at the moment. Which yeah, is quite there was the, uh, the the Microsoft Word one as well. We were talking about that earlier. That right, some kind of RCE, but they have pretty low ranked in their exploitability assessment. But yeah, I mean, why? Oh, <laughs> yeah, Microsoft Word RCE is kind of a yeah. nice thing, but uh, maybe there's some like really weird like edge conditions or that needs to be present in order for it to actually be exploitable i don't know yeah i think that's that's the interesting thing with this whole heap of uh, kind of vulnerabilities this time around is is that normally they all come you know in bits and pieces here and there and you know various people got to release them and they often release a POC or some kind of technical explanation so people can generate a POC for it right um so when we look at this the remote desktop one as you kind of you highlighted, which was definitely for me one of the most interesting ones there, um, and I think everyone's pretty much seen the news now. You can't really go online without seeing Game of Thrones spoilers or remote desktop exploit uh, <laughs> vulnerability information. Um, but this one, I think it was CV twenty nineteen zero seven zero eight, and it's basically a vulnerability uh, that's stretching from Windows XP in two thousand and three through to Windows seven and two thousand server two thousand and eight, and it's a remote exploit uh, for remote desktop, which is always nice and no authentication required. Um, 
you know, kind of it's one of those things to look at that and go, okay, well, what can I actually get if I'm able to exploit this? Well, system. Um, so this <laughs> kind of, oh, <laughs> yeah, just system. That's bad, right? I think. Um, so, I mean, if you remember the, the Eternal Blue stuff, and we've done quite a lot of stuff around Eternal Blue, and we're always right. chatting about it because, you know, it's, it's a dream exploit. Um, Is this close? It, it's close, if not better, um, in certain ways. Um, I mean, if you look at Showdown, for instance, the amount of remote desktop services that are out there, um, well, if you just look at port 3389, um, which is not always going to be remote desktop, you've got close to 4 million entries on Showdown, right? And a lot of these will be remote desktop. Also, a lot won't be vulnerable, but still. If you just then look at port 3389 with has screenshot true, which is this is the remote desktop crawler that tries to grab a screenshot. Yeah, so this is how you see in Showdown if there's a, it could take a screenshot of the remote desktop service, exactly. right? Um, so this will take a screenshot if there's no network level authentication. So network level authentication has been around in Windows for some time, but it wasn't defaulted until I think Windows 10 or a later service pack or Windows 7. So, so what does this NLA network layer authentication, what does this buy you as a defender? So, NLA, which is really, it's, it's pretty crucial, to be honest. Um, it will basically add an additional layer of authentication before you can connect to the remote desktop service. Gotcha. So without NLA, for instance, you can connect to a remote desktop service um, without providing any authentication, you can get to a login screen. So that's what these screenshotters do. They, they kind of connect to a server without NLA, and they're able to get to access to the, screen, uh, to the login page where they can actually see a list of users for instance and i've done quite a bit of work around ocr and stuff with the usernames on these and it's quite nice with network level or network level authentication it kind of forces you to provide credentials beforehand so with this exploitation uh, this particular not not exploit because we haven't got one yet but with this vulnerability if you had nla uh, enabled then they're still they're going to need to know your credentials beforehand before they can exploit this with the, yeah, but it still works, right? If they have, it still works. If they have valid creds, then they can do... So it basically becomes right. a privesque, like a remote privesque in some way? Yeah, exactly. Um, so any authenticated user can become system. Of course, NLA yeah. is enabled on a vulnerable system. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Which is, which is nice, yeah. So if you've got a remote desktop, you've got this... If you can work and exploit for it, and uh, you can potentially, on a vulnerable system, gain system access um, which would be a nice way around it but as i was saying um, on showdown you can see quite you know merrily there's a lot of servers out there still over two hundred thousand that still don't have nla enabled and this is just on the surface right this is public facing services and ones that haven't been blacklisted by the the scans um, so with this particular exploit you can fire well, this particular vulnerability when there's a working exploit um, I'm sure people have got it working somewhere and it's probably going into some malware campaigns as we speak. Well, we've seen at least two reports from Zeridium and McAfee that they right. have uh, working exploits for this. And I mean, that's those are the people who are public about it. Yeah. The sort of people we want to be concerned about are the people who are not going to be going public about well, it. Well, this is the thing, right? There's a patch for it now. Um, so someone with the skills and the patience can take that patch and they can reverse engineer it and they can generate a working exploit for it. And it will happen. It's not the case of if, it's the case of when. Right. Um, and that's what we're saying about this, the ability for it to, and everyone's saying now for it to be wormable, right? And this is why the comparison come back, uh, comes back to Eternal Blue. So the exploit, when it works, will give you system. 
Um, it will also be able to target a commonly available public service remote desktop. Um, and often on people's networks, they have remote desktop for administrative access, right? So right into the juicy systems as well. Exactly. So yeah. while there may only be 200,000 available on Shodan, um, once you compromise any of those, then there may be hundreds or thousands of systems behind those. Once you've got a, an additional module on top of that, that's going to scan the network looking for port 3389 across your internal network. It then becomes a much bigger thing and a much more wormable um, exploit. So you're and looking this, at the sort of uh, sort of wanna cry non pictures that rabbits of this world. If they had yeah. this as part of their arsenal, would be pretty uh, pretty terrible, right? Well, yeah. So wanna cry obviously used used the eternal blue stuff, right? Um, underneath, and that was using SMB. So this is the same ish, uh, but using remote desktop instead, which is again a more a uh, very common. Um, protocol to have enabled on an internal network and maybe even more so um, than others. Obviously, if you've got a remote desktop available on the internet, then it's normally for administration of some kind, right? So you get access to that administration box, then you have most likely got rules enabled from that machine to other machines for remote desktop across their network. So it's often a jump box um, is a way to look at a remote desktop service rather than an SMB share could just be uh, you know, someone's mistakenly enabled that or UPnP on a device or whatever else. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be up there with WannaCry. And I think people need to start looking at this and, and patching as soon as possible. And I think uh, Microsoft did quite an unusual thing that they actually issued a patch for out-of-support operating systems. Is that right? Right. Yeah, XP in 2003. And again, they did this with Eternal Blue. They don't often do it with a lot of things. Um, so that kind of shows how serious they're taking this one. Um, and I, I believe this was reported through NCSC, is that correct? That's right, yeah, that's right. And they also issued some guidance, which was basically the TLDR was patch. Um, <laughs> right. So they, you know, they, they, they clearly uh, consider this to be a massive issue as well. So, Yeah, and I think that's, you know, well, you know, everyone goes on about patching and sometimes there are legacy systems that for whatever reason you, you can't patch, but there's a lot of other things, remote desktop, you can do like for instance don't leave a remote desktop service publicly enabled to everybody right you can add in ip whitelisting if as a worst case scenario to to kind of give that remote access or vpns you know they're there for a reason open right. vpn is actually really easy to deploy on a raspberry pi or something if you haven't really got much infrastructure but larger organizations should have firewalls in place where they can add this kind of you know, a VPN solution and easily hop into the network to be able to access these services. So in this day and age, there's no real reason for a remote desktop service to be publicly available. Even a home user can easily set up a free open VPN service to gain access to their home network if they want to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So yeah, so patching is definitely something everyone should be doing. Um, VPNs and IP whitelisting is definitely something else I would highly recommend rather than leaving remote desktop out on the internet. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my, my thoughts on it. I, I do see this going pretty pretty crazy once a working POC or exploit gets out there. And there's been a few... There's been a lot of fake stuff. There's right. Some um, rolling, I, some you know, classic gags out there. Yeah, to be fair, I even got caught out. Like Late one night, I was looking at the, the troll POCs, and then I found another one. Someone linked me. I was like, oh, I'll take a look at this. And I fired up some, some VMs in my home network. And then I fired off this park and I looked at it and I saw the troll kind of um, 
command that it was sending. But I also saw a lot more information in there that wasn't in the rest of the troll uh, box. And sure enough, it blue screened my Windows 7 VM that I was targeting against. And I got really excited about it. I was like, oh, there's something here. And it turns out it just looks like it's an old DOS that someone's thrown into into the ex- into the block to actually make right. it more plausible. So Classic. So, yeah, we all get caught up with this. We all get kind of, you know, we see this information. It's like, ah, it's really exciting. That's Everybody wants to be the first, right, to see right. it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not kind of outside that bar. I, I jump on board these things and kind of get excited by them. But, yeah, so it's do, definitely do one think, we should watch. Do you think that um, in the comparison to Eternal Blue, I mean, one of the interesting things with Eternal Blue, and going back to our, our good dear friend, MSO867, right, um, what was so impressive with Eternal Blue was its reliability as well. Right. It was you know, clearly a very well-tested, well-used exploit. Do you think that if anything comes from this uh, IDP bug, do you think that reliability will be a factor or do you think it doesn't really matter? I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's going to depend on the devs, right, at the end of the day. Um, well, hopefully it's not going to be the NSA devving this exploit, which gets you- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I would love to see the information that uh, NCSC got from this, where it came from, and kind of what they saw in relating to this, right? Um, but yeah, it's going to highly depend on on kind of the devs behind it. But you know, if it is just a simple series of commands over remote desktop, remote desktop is a very stable protocol. Mm. Um, so you know, depending on the exploit and kind of exactly what it's doing under the hood, you know, it's a malicious crafted um, request over a connect, uh, an RDP channel. So I should imagine, you know, there's a good chance they could become ve- fairly stable. And it only is stable enough to send a few commands, right, to, to drop a payload on the next host and, you know, maybe grab some persistence or send on to the next host on the internal network. So right, even with an unstable exploit, right, even with an unstable exploit, you know, if you can do it quick enough or enough iterations of it, then you can you, know, you can gain persistence and you can start worming from there, really. Interesting. Right. Thanks a lot for that, sign. And we're back to wrap up the show, as always, with our question of the week. All right, are you all ready? You ready for the, for the question? Oh, yeah. You, you, all right. If you could have one celebrity as your bodyguard, who would it be? I know mine. Y'all think. I think I'm, mine's obvious. I, I okay, well, then you go first. So uh, I think the clear winner here is going to be Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> so, no, hear me out, hear me out. So uh, a while back, there was a really unsettling video of her harassing a mother and her child. Um, and I think I want that kind of like just terrifying energy for somebody protecting me. Because yeah. I don't think anybody's going to want to mess with me if it's if they think they're going to see. Lindsay Lohan's guarding you. Yeah, I just, I, I think she's like a, a true predator. <laughs> <laughs> she's an apex yeah i'd say so okay all right that's fair i'll take that one mine's gonna be i mean mine's obviously the rock like that's an easy one mm-hmm. all right so i mean he's number one the strongest celebrity out of all the celebrities false oh, oh okay who's who's stronger then you are no my alex is currently choice. pointing at himself as <laughs> if to say my that he is stronger than the rock <laughs> So even though Harrison said the obvious choice would be The Rock, I think that there's a, an even more clear, obvious choice of a creature with unimaginable levels of strength and power. Celebrity. Yes. So I think any choice other than Danny DeVito is incorrect. Oh, that is true. 
<laughs> from pure strength alone? Pure strength and willpower. Are you saying that Danny DeVito could beat The Rock in a... In anything. In an arm wrestle? Anything. Oh. It's a bold statement, Cotton. I'll stand by it. And Lindsay Lohan as well. See, I, I just I have a problem with that because... Uh, to me, Lindsay Lohan seems like uh, the perfect counter to a Danny DeVito. You know, Lindsay's like t- kind of tallish, and mm-hmm. you know, she looks agile. I, was I think say she's agile. She I th- can... Yeah, I think Danny's more of a planner. I don't think he's good in like, you know, during combat. He's the brains of the operation. All right. After much discussion that is being cut out of the podcast about about the other celebrities that we would have as our bodyguards, which has included Nicolas Cage. Uh, Tim Allen and specifically from the Shaggy Dog. Specifically, and Tim Allen from the Shaggy Dog and who? Home Improvement. And, and Tim Allen from Home Improvement. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Uh, all of which has have been cut out of the podcast. Uh, thank you, guests. Thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you, celebrity bodyguards. And we will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>